This is the DLR Cast, the essential podcast for fans of Diamond David Lee Roth. All right, here we are once again. It's the DLR Cast, your podcast all about the Diamond One. Diamond David Lee Roth. I'm Steve, joined as always by my good friend Darren Paltrowitz. What's happening, Darren? Steve, always a pleasure to connect. And thanks to everyone for making sure another episode happens. Yeah, thank you very much. So, of course, uh, if you're a regular listener, you know, last week we uh, uh, we talked about the sad news. Uh, we recorded the night that we learned of Eddie Van Halen's uh, passing. Obviously, uh, fans, millions of fans, myself included, Darren, I'm sure with you, too. It still bums me out. I mean, I've been listening to pretty much nothing but Van Halen, which I listen to a lot of Van Halen anyway. But I, you know, Sirius XM has a dedicated channel, which has been fantastic. On a side note, they really like Van Halen 3 with Gary Sharon. <laughs> uh, I'm very surprised by that. I think they've aired just about every track on the album. Um, but so, yeah, so, you know, this is, I guess, you know, the second week after Eddie's passing and we're and this episode, I guess this is an intro for an intro because we had an episode in the can last week. And so that's this episode, if that makes sense. And Darren, you brought us another great interview with with uh, Chris DeMakes. You have said everything so far that is entirely true and accurate and timeline sensitive. Yeah, this episode was done. And then we kind of realized what kind of DLR cast would we be if we didn't talk about Eddie within hours of it happening. Of course, it definitely stings. It's not something that anybody was really counting on happening within the next 10 years, 15 years. But I think it's great to see so many people we didn't know were Van Halen fans coming out of the woodwork. And we're starting to see some footage and releases that we didn't know existed that that frank sinatra video thing have you seen that i have not seen that um it's been tough to keep up with uh with everything and plus i've been rewatching a lot of stuff that i hadn't seen in a long time but i have heard about that about the frank sinatra thing i god i want to say uh some a guest mentioned that in one of our earlier episodes now this is ringing some long lost bells (laughs) Yeah, there's all sorts of things like that. I didn't have the chance to look yet that a friend of the show, DX Ferris, shared on Facebook that it's an outtakes compilation of Van Halen music videos. I'm so excited to see that eventually at some point. Um, I think I'm going to watch the entire Van Halen 3 live concert from Australia. That was home video. (laughs) There's so much to watch now that I never got through in the first place. There is. And of course, for those who don't know, Krista Makes, the guest in this episode that we're introducing here, is uh, the guitarist and vocalist of Less Than Jake. And he's a big shredder and a big Van Halen fan. And that interview, I I am still kicking myself that I was unable to join uh, you guys to do that interview because it is a hell of a lot of fun. Yes. And Less Than Jake is not the only thing that Chris does. He's got a great podcast. And I do mean great podcast called Chris DeMakes a podcast. It has a Steve Roth favorite, Rick Nielsen from Cheap Trick on there, talking about surrender. It has the Alkaline Trio's singer. Uh, you'll hear it in our intro. You're going to rehear all this. Yeah, that that um, that's a really great interview. And um, that was a lot of fun. And, and I really love listening to it. And that I was bummed out because, well, for one reason, as you mentioned, I mean, it was just after he put out his episode with Rick Nielsen. So, 
So we'll get to that in a second. Now, interesting thing as well, when we recorded that, that was about a week after we heard of the death of Mark Stone, Van Halen's original bassist. So we'll be talking about that on the second of basically the first intro to the episode. This is now the second episode, intro, if that makes any sense. It'll yeah, all work out in the editing. It's It's a prequel that's an accidental prequel. Exactly. So, so a couple things news wise, newsworthy wise is what, you know, of course, this is a podcast for fans of David Lee Roth. And Dave's been kind of quiet on social media for the most part. I mean, he did post a second photo of of him and uh, Eddie, a cool photo. And um, in addition to that. There was a couple – there was a thing in the news about Eddie Van Halen endured racism growing up as the mixed-race child of an Indonesian mother, David Lee Roth says. But what's – and that was a day ago. But uh, it's weird. That's the headline. It's very weird. But um, David brought that up in an interview last uh, – in 2019 apparently. But – and I think that was actually – actually, that was back on when Dave was on the the uh, WTF podcast with Mark yes. Maron in 2019. But that's not really news that Dave said it because Eddie brought that up, in fact, and I was watching the whole thing, uh, listening to it today. Eddie brought that up if, if you saw the interview, the long interview he did in 2017 about being an immigrant, being an immigrant in America. It was a panel about what it means to be an American, and um, and I can't – um, it was called What It Means to Be an American, a National Conversation in the Public Square. It sounded like something that could have been on NPR, but there is a video out there where we – and it's fantastic, about 55 minutes long. If you're not an – if you're an Eddie fan, you haven't seen this. Shame on you. Uh, yeah. Present company excluded, of course, because Darren is one of the mu busiest music journalists I've ever known. <laughs> well, I watched the whole thing. It is the best interview Eddie Van Halen it, ever did. It truly is, isn't it? It really is. And – uh, so, yeah, so it's weird that all of a sudden the fact that Dave brought this up in 2019 showed up in different places like at foxnews.com and people.com. But they also make reference of the fact that, you know, Eddie talked about this before that in 2017 because he just came over to America. And so uh, he was a victim of some bullying and 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 endured racism because his mom was Indonesian. So that whole thing was interesting. Also, what's interesting, but not entirely unexpected, I probably could have guessed this, that Sammy Hagar said a few days back last week that he buried the hatchet with um, Eddie a few months before his death and, um, you know, that they kind of became friends again. And so, you know, that leads me that leads me to instantly wonder, I wonder when Dave last talked to Eddie, you know, did I mean – because um, obviously he had a decline over the past for several months. So he was probably incapacitated. I would guess as cancer just ravages you for yeah. several weeks before his death. But did, I mean, yeah, I, mean, I would just love to know some of that inside info there. I thought it was interesting, but not some Sammy didn't say he asked me to join the band again, but uh, that would be pretty much par for the course. There was an interesting Gene Simmons thing that came out today that he ran into Eddie and Eddie told him that he was sick. Uh, Gene Simmons has been doing a lot of interviews. And of course, Van Halen always gets asked. But did you and this is the opposite wavelength of what you just brought up with Sammy. Did you see the David Crosby thing that just happened? Yes, where David, when asked was about it, was and first off, why do you ask David Crosby about what you think of Eddie Van Halen? I mean, everybody went apeshit about that. And I'm just like, well, 
who gives a crap what David Crosby thinks? You know, ask David Crosby what he thinks about Jackson Brown or somebody from that ilk. You know, if those when when those people pass, be, if they happen to pass before David, does. you know what I mean? I mean, that just made no sense to me. It's like, why did you even bother? Yeah, accidental trolling right there. But what you brought up with Sammy Hagar, I don't think that we know the full story yet, but I would imagine he's going to do more interviews very soon and we're going to get more details soon on all that. Yeah, and the the, the whole, yeah, and there's been all sorts of like news, thing, of course, a ton of news on all this swirling around. And I just as Dave fans, I mean, Dave was has been pretty quiet and interesting I mean, Eddie passed on what October sixth, and October tenth was Dave's birthday, and he didn't share anything on social media that day. And I think so far there's only been two photos posted, and um, uh, two photos posted with him and from from recent tours of him and Eddie on you know Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and he met, you know said it's uh, it was a long great trip. A couple a couple uh, websites out there, I think Ultimate Classic Rock and a few other folks made a story out of and posted the the last concert that Van Halen did with Dave, the last concert of Van Halen, period, in 2015 at the Hollywood, Hollywood Bowl. And Dave uh, you know, said that the greatest times in his life were sharing stages with Eddie and also Alex. And, I mean, Dave never, at least publicly on stage, in song maybe, but publicly and on stage, Dave isn't too, it uh, doesn't, it doesn't seem to be too caught up in sentimentality, but even I think I'm sure he knew that this was probably going to be the last tour. And in fact it was. And so that was kind of interesting. Yeah. And Alex Van Halen put out a statement, I believe yesterday. How many times have we ever said that sentence in our lives? Alex Van Halen put out a statement. Yeah. He did that through the Van Halen news desk because at least publicly Al's out, Alex is not on any sort of social media. I mean, Eddie's had an Instagram account, um, you know, was on social media, of course. And as of the other day, VanHalen.com still has not been updated. But that's, I mean, if you know VanHalen.com, that's yeah. not surprising at all. A couple other surprising things as well as this intro to the intro to the episode <laughs> seems to be a little bit longer. But there is a lot going on here is that. A couple days ago, Van Halen and Eddie manager Eddie Van Halen manager Irving Azoff said that yes, indeed, the rumors about a 2019 stadium tour with Michael Anthony back in the fold. Those rumors were true. They were working on it, and uh, but basically because of health reasons, that tour, that summer tour, did not happen. So, um, and I think there was also rumors for 2020 as well, uh, for, you know, way back uh, many months ago too. And now we know why that didn't happen. And I mean, Dave publicly had mentioned that it was uh, jumped the gun, of course, if I remember correctly mentioning about the tour. And uh, so that was kind of what could have been. And I know, in fact, before before Eddie passed, Michael Anthony did. I remember there was some stuff going around where he did say, "Yeah, we talked about it for a bit. I heard some different things, but it, uh, you know, he had. I think his. No one ever reached out to him directly. I don't think management ever did, but he caught wind of the rumors and apparently may have talked to some people. And but alas, it did not come to be, and now we know why. Yeah, there's always been that kind of thing where you didn't know if they were pulling your leg about reunion tours in general. You know, there's always rumors that a reunion tour is going to happen with any band. There's an immediate denial. And then 
they feed it out. That happened with that Motley Crue tour. So when that whole thing happened and Michael Anthony said, I haven't been contacted or I don't know, I just thought, you know, the pro wrestling fan in me, that it was a work, that this was just a storyline thing, but it actually turned out to be the truth. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it, there's going to be more to come on all this. In fact, lost among all this is I, and I'm sure I just have not had a chance to Google it, but was any news about Eddie's funeral, if it's happened already, I mean, now we're a week later, or I'm, I'm assuming if it did, it was very private. I mean, I kind of half expected to see photos of, if it was going to be public, of photos of like Dave and Sammy and other rock luminaries in dark glasses at a cemetery somewhere. But I don't think that's going to happen from what I've seen. And I mean, apologies for sounding kind of morbid, but you know what those photos look like when you, I mean, uh, you know, people leaving a place of worship after celebrity. Yeah. Pa- celebrities passing so and then last but not least we'll see what happens with musically i mean i think wolfgang and alex are the keeper keepers of the vault and lord knows there's a lot of music up there and we'll see mm-hmm. if that if stuff starts coming out one way or another uh whether it be a leaked or official releases so it's it, as as quiet as the van halen camp used to be now suddenly it's uh <laughs> there's presumably a lot upcoming uh, that could be upcoming and going on. Not to mention Wolfgang's got a, a solo album that's practically done that he's been working on for several years. So, Yeah, and one thing before I forget that I randomly discovered a couple days ago, there's a cool interview that's on YouTube from a podcast, can't remember the name, with Chris Holmes from Wasp. I had no idea he grew up with Eddie Van Halen, and he kind of presents some alternate facts to Van Halen forming and where Eddie learned different things. So that's something really worth checking out if you do have some time. Yeah, I would like to check that out. Presumably, I'm assuming Chris coherent, uh, Chris Holmes is coherent uh, or his memory is in good shape, too. So that's the thing. You know, I mean, even there's there's just so much we don't know out there, even though there has finally been a lot a lot that we, you know, that we have known, that we do know now as far as the band's formation and just everything. They were There was always a lot of mystery around just almost everything they did, particularly after Dave left. Well said. Well, the bottom line, more to come. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, on that note, let's get to the intro to the next episode. And as always, thank you for downloading and thank you for streaming the DLR cast. Thanks. Oh, and hey, wait a minute. Hold on. Let's give some props here because you're, uh, before we even get it, my goodness, my friend, nice little write-up on your local paper for the Paltrowcast, your cool podcast. I saw that on a Long Island newspaper where you're from and a great picture of you with, uh, (laughs) speaking of Gene Simmons, with Gene Simmons. I never thought that they would uh, put the photo of me and Gene Simmons in a newspaper, but I guess Long Island media is better than we think it is. <laughs> well, it's very, very cool. So congratulations, my friend. And uh, yeah, we'll uh, we'll have another episode coming soon. Thank you for downloading and streaming the DLR cast and checking us out at YouTube and everywhere else. Yep. All right. Welcome to the DLR cast. Thanks for downloading. Thanks for streaming once again. This is your unofficial, official podcast all about David Lee Roth. We're fans, but we're not fanboys. I'm Steve, along with my good friend Darren here. Hello there, sir. How are you? Oh, Steve, I am exhausted uh, taping too many damn interviews, but always find and feel the energy when we're talking. How are you doing there today? 
I'm good. I'm good. And we're, we've got a great interview. You've got a great interview. One of the many interviews you've been you've been doing, as mentioned, we got a great interview with uh, uh, Krista Makes from Lesson Jake. Yeah. Yeah. That one was just sometimes you get reach outs and somebody goes, hey, you want to speak with so and so? And you go, what? You know who I am? You want to talk with me? Cool. And that happened. But I've I've kind of had a bad habit lately, Steve, of just mentioning Van Halen in almost every single interview I, I do. I, I mentioned them to Lincoln Park yesterday. I <laughs> mentioned them to Lizzie Hale from Hailstorm today. Uh, I think I'm, I'm addicted to the DLR cast. <laughs> well, good. Well, that's excellent. And it's a great interview. Uh, Chris really knows his stuff. He uh, he's he's a rock fan, man. I, I, I'm jealous because I wish I had a chance to I wish I was able to join you on that interview because it sounds like uh, he's another one whose record collection is very similar to mine. So but before we get to that, there's some recent Van Halen news, and that is the original Van Halen's original bass player, Mark Stone, uh, died this past Saturday, September 26th, after a battle with cancer. Yeah, that's obviously a bummer. We were talking about him uh, two, three episodes ago with Greg Renoff, who seems like he got to know Mark a bit. He was at his book signing. I think I read about Mark getting on stage and playing some Van Halen songs with a tribute band at that book release party. Yeah. So um, he made guest appearances with, with, a, with a, a band called Van Halen, a band that, that was a, a tribute band to Roth era Van Halen. And what what was really interesting about this, um, obviously, it's really sad news, but um, uh, Wolfgang Van Halen uh, tweeted a nice tribute to Mark saying, uh, heartbreaking news to hear of Mark's passing. Met him a few times. He was a wonderful man. My heart goes out to his family. And uh, one of Wolfgang's Twitter followers suggested that Mark, quote, hadn't talked to Eddie Van Halen or Alex Van Halen for, quote, decades and um, what's what I always love, if you follow Wolfgang on Instagram or Twitter, yeah. he uh, is more than willing to uh, take take on and throw back to, 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 you know, people who just throw these ridiculous col- uh, comments out there. And he replied back to this guy. He said, really odd to lie about something you know nothing about. What do you get out of this? They absolutely still talked. How else would I have met him numerous times over the years if they hadn't, quote, spoken in decades? So uh, <laughs> Wolfgang shutting down another uh, an, another uh, uh, commentator, I guess, on 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 social media. But you know, Mark was the original bass player in Van Halen. So from seventy two to seventy four, I'm sorry, uh, Van Halen in Mammoth from seventy two to seventy four, and um, and then I guess uh, um, uh, Mark uh, left uh, his they, Van Halen thought his his. Um, commitment to school outweighed his interest in pursuing pursuing a, a career in rock and roll. And that's when they went and looked for and found Michael Anthony. And um, um, there's a great DVD that Stone's in called Van Halen Story, the early years DVD. Yes. Yes. And uh, that was released a while back, right? And uh, 2005, 2006. Yeah. Oh. yeah. And uh, he, says in, he says in that DVD um, – uh, he says in there that he was a straight A student and doing the band and he was, you know, his time was split between both of them and he couldn't keep up. And he said they met one day and they actually asked him to leave. And he said, you know, it was really tough because they were, knew they were destined for greatness. Yeah. And, they, and, and apparently, you know, and so, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, of course, you have no idea at that moment, I'm sure. But, you know, 
our condolences to uh, uh, to the Stone family and uh, sad news indeed. So, yeah, I think every band that you and I love, there was one guy who quit or got fired at the wrong time, or there was that childhood friend who wrote with the person and then got fired at the wrong time or quit at the wrong time. We we talked about it, I think, a little bit with Greg Renoff about Terry Kilgore, or is that just you and me talking about Terry well, Kilgore? I, I, I might have been both of all of us. I mean, yeah, because Terry was like one, uh, I think he was he in one of Dave's early bands before Van Halen. Yeah, and, he was and that. We, and then I guess he brought him back in 91 or 92, something like that. Actually, it was 94 with the Your Filthy Little Mouth album and tour. And Terry was, I guess, on maybe not the originator. Uh, it's it, Eddie definitely was one of the originals, you know, as far as the tapping technique. But I, um, a lot of the rumors were and a lot of different things I read that Terry was kind of right up there. Uh, some people might argue that Terry taught Eddie that there's, yeah, you know, that kind of uh, yeah. uh, decades old Monday morning quarterbacking. <laughs> but, you know, they definitely were all in that same scene. And I think Renoff's book mentions it and Van Halen Rising mentions, you know, how the tapping came about and yeah. and, and and Terry's uh thing with the band but you know it's interesting because i was just thinking too you're right some of our our favorite bands i mean cheap trick had another lead singer zeno before robin zander yeah and i was just thinking you know and i'm sure there's more if we really dig into it more but um kiss was fully formed right from the get-go they gene and paul found ace and peter and you know it's stayed that way till uh the end of the 70s right so nobody really that that's a rare one are we going to argue on that one? Because if you want to claim like, oh, Wicked Lester and all that, <laughs> then you could talk about Stan Penridge and forget sure. the name of the other guy. But, but as far, Kiss, as, far Kiss as starting with Kiss. Okay, okay. Uh, yeah. I mean, you could then go into the later days of how um, Punky Meadows was offered to play guitar and he said a, a comment that they didn't like and they didn't offer him the gig and I guess that's when it went to Bruce Kulick or Vinnie Vincent. I I think the bottom line is that almost every band, because you just corrected me on a good one, almost every band has that guy that didn't make it. You too, I think the Edge's brother was in it, and there were a five-piece at the beginning, and uh, of course the Beatles, there was Stu Sutcliffe, and more famously, yeah. Led Zeppelin, you could argue, Terry Reed uh, not taking the gig is one yeah. of them. AC ACDC had uh, Mark Evans on bass before uh, Cliff Williams. And um, uh, side I, note, ACDC's got a new album coming out uh, yeah, just excited. announced. And yeah, I'm a huge ACDC fan. I'm very psyched about that. But yeah, we could go down a list and there's those people that, you know, years later are going, oh, damn it. I was so close. You there's know? plenty of those. That that plaque behind you on the wall, Blink-182, there's that drummer, Scott, who was on, I think, maybe the first two records. That's right. And, they gave him the heave ho. And sometimes it's a bummer. And then other times the people kind of have different priorities in life and they go, well, you know what? The the road wasn't what I wanted to do. So in the case of Mark Stone, I think it was probably rough until 84 or 85. And then I'd like to think that he kind of went at a certain point. Um, I like dealing with sane people and having a normal existence. <laughs> he probably loved his family. I'm I'm sure he had a grandkid or two, and things worked out for him in that way. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, 
hindsight's always twenty twenty, right? And 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 uh, anyone who says that I hate to say I told you so is probably lying. But yeah, <laughs> you know, at that moment to make that decision, whether you're eighteen, nineteen, twenty years old, I mean, that's that, come on. You know, you can look back and say I knew it all along, but. I mean, you just really don't. I mean, if it's that's got to be a really tough decision to make. I mean, it could all yeah. fall. The odds are good it's going to fall apart. The odds are far better it's all going to fall apart, and you know, than than making it. That's for sure. For sure, and there's, I'm sure, even countless people that we don't know about who were in and out of bands and, and all that. You know, I was interviewing, you know, the Damned, of course, great, great, yeah. and and I was looking at the Wikipedia page of the bassist who I was interviewing yesterday, Paul Gray. And it says that he played in Fastway, which was a fast Eddie from Motor. Oh, yeah. Kind yeah. of hard rock, hairish kind oh, of I'm a, I'm a big fan, yeah. He originally started with the recently departed Pete Way, but Pete Way left the band somehow before they recorded their first album. Oh, yeah, I've got all that band's records. Yeah, I know that this is not the Fastway cast. This is all... <laughs> <laughs> the, the Motorhead cast, this is the DLR cast. But this story cracked me up. I asked him, because he was, Paul Gray was this great, great, funny, nice, pleasant guy. And I said, so your Wikipedia says that you played in Fastway, but you look at the Fastway Wikipedia and it doesn't have you there. You know, what's the deal? And he goes, uh, you know, I was between gigs and I met a couple of the guys and we went to the drink, uh, went to the pub and they're like, hey, you want to be in the band? And I'm like, yeah, sure. And we met at the pub another nine, ten times, did some photo uh, shoots and all that, took some photos, wound up on the back cover of the album. We never played one gig. Uh, I never recorded one session. <laughs> it was just a drinking thing. It makes <laughs> you think how many people are like Mitch Malloy, where people don't really know about them. Maybe they did a session or two or three, and that's that. You know, are there stones we don't know about? Are there? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I yeah, once yeah. I once heard a story. I'm sorry. I'm way sidebarring here. This is a friend of a friend told me that like Eddie Van Halen reached out to them in the early 2000s and went, "We we want to have a keyboard player," and they flew him out and he shows up at Eddie's house and Eddie's like, "Can I help you?" Yeah, I'm here to jam. Huh? And they jammed and they went, okay, cool. <laughs> and probably Eddie was probably didn't have a recollection at the moment when the guy showed up at the door. <laughs> Maybe, yeah. you know, it's like, there's an uncomfortable moment. <laughs> exactly. I, I think that was the guy who was playing keyboards and doing the high notes in Aerosmith until maybe the early 2000s, mid 2000s. Okay. But the bottom line is, you know, Mark Stone, we remember him. Van Halen fans that are diehards are going to remember him. So, you know, he leaves a legacy behind. Yeah, absolutely. So, well, all right. Well, let's, should we get to the Krista Makes interview? Krista Makes, host of Krista Makes a Podcast, which has our favorite Rick Nielsen on an episode. Yeah. Point eighty two. Uh, really great songwriters telling the stories of how they made the songs. Excellent. Well, good deal. It's a great interview you got for the DLR cast. So let's hit it. Let's hit it. Is it cool if I now steer towards the Van Halen, David Lee Roth portion of our conversation? You can steer wherever you want. Let's do it. Okay. So I co-founded the DLR cast with my co-host Steve Roth, no relation to Diamond Dave, because like what I was saying to you before, 
I realized we're just having these conversations anyway that appeal to 0.001% of people, but that 0.001% right. of people love it to no end. And I have this <laughs> weird email thread that never stopped from like three years ago where we just wind up talking about Rudy Sarzo and all that kind of era of I'll, metal. I'll and, talk about Rudy. You, you're you're going to meet your match right now because I will, I will talk for days. Like I'm an encyclopedia of this shit. Well, what I was curious about is if you have that kind of group of friends that anytime you see a, well, look what Ace Frehley has done again, that that news headline goes to them. Oh, yeah. I mean, I got a friend of mine, uh, a number of friends, uh, uh, someone who was initially a fan of the band's friend of mine, this guy Rich from Buffalo, New York. It's like, we won't see each other for six months. And the first time I run to him, we go, dude, did you hear about Rudy Sarso? He's playing with Whitesnake now. You know, like that. And, and the same thing with him. So of course, yeah. Exactly, that's really great to hear. So you mentioned before that, you know, passingly, oh, well, hey, I'm Chris Van Halen, I'm Chris Lee Roth. I don't know if that was targeted at that, but was Van Halen your entry to hard rock or was it Kiss or Motley Crue? Um, you know, kind of all the above. So my mom and dad were musicians. I was born in a musical household. Music was always encouraged, never frowned upon. They didn't care if I brought home a Striper record, a Slayer record, a Neil Diamond record, a Christmas record, a Christian record, didn't matter. Music was music. Um, and uh, so, you know, I, from an early age, I was listening to everything my parents were listening to in the 70s, you know, Boston, ELO, Cheap Trick, Neil Diamond, uh, you know, and then as I got a little older, uh, uh, you know, I was probably... I think I was 10 years old when I bought Metal Health by Quiet Riot. Sure. And shortly the there, so comes back. There you go. And shortly thereafter, it was like Twisted Sister, Stay Hungry. Motley Crue, Shot at the Devil was around that time. Yeah. Um, so that was kind of, you know, that hard rock. Van Halen, of course. And Van Halen, when I first heard of them, I didn't hear of Van Halen. I remember hearing, I think, Pretty Woman on the radio, which would have, I would have been about nine years old right. at that point. Um, and, uh, I'm sure I had heard running in the devil or, or running with the devil or some of those songs, uh, dance night away on, on, on the radio, going to little league games or something. But I, I, I'm sure I did. I don't really remember, but I truly re remember the phenomenon that was jump in 84 and that whole thing. Um, so yeah, I, once that hit hit, I went back and discovered Van Halen's whole catalog. Um, and, uh, yeah, huge fan. Were you a Dave fan as a solo artist? I, I can't quite place with that timeline if you would have been straight away just a gigolo and into all that, or later on you discovered Yankee Rose when, man, that's the best. Um, you know, when he did the California Girls and that whole, you know, Hollywood trip, um, I was fascinated by the videos because MTV was such a phenomenon at that time and I was living it, okay? Mm -hmm. And the summer of 85 i went up for a couple weeks to spend with relatives uh, in michigan and we didn't have cable tv in florida then okay cable tv was a premium if you lived too too far out they weren't going to run cables to where you lived right uh and and that's just the way it was but my cousins uh they had cable tv and they had mtv and i remember just uh being mesmerized by the just a gigolo california girls videos um so i liked it from that aspect didn't really like the songs um, I did like Skyscraper, though, when it came out, Yankee Rose, and, uh, and that video was, of course, a classic. So, uh, yeah, I loved it. 
did you grow up playing the Van Halen riffs on guitar? Because I know they're not easy and everyone wants to play them. And then they realize that they can't play them. And then they kind of give up and then go to punk rock. No, I, I missed that whole thing because I always saw myself as a singer. So I didn't, I didn't pick up the guitar until I was eight, almost 18 years old. Really? I was in, yeah. Oh. Yeah. So my, when I said I didn't pick it up, I knew some chords. My dad was a player. There was always a guitar in the house. I knew GD. I, I could get around a little bit. Cowboy chords. <laughs> it, it wasn't until I got to Gainesville that um, I was starting to audition for bands. And I would go out to the record store and there used to be those uh, singer wanted with like at the bottom, you tear off the piece of paper with the, with the phone numbers, of course. you know, and I went and auditioned for a couple different uh, bands and it just, it, 1991 was a very strange year. Okay. You were getting out of the eighties. Um, grunge was on the cross for what they were calling grunge. Just, yeah. it was a, it was a ushering in a different style of music and a different way of thinking. And uh, so I'd show up to like these rehearsals and they're like, There'd be a dude in the corner with like long hair down to here with like eyeshadow on, looked like he was poison. Then the next guy next to him would look like a lumberjack, like Eddie Vedder with like, you know, uh, a flannel top on and a, and a mushroom bobbed haircut. Then there'd like be like a bald guy with suspenders next to him in a circle jerk shirt. He was the drummer. It's like, whoa, the identity here is really bizarre. And here I am. Here, can you sing this? Okay, cool. What, what, what kind of style? Well, we want you to make it sound like Queensryche mixed with uh, Bad Religion mixed with, uh, you know, oh. Van Halen. And you're like, okay. <laughs> so uh, that's when I started playing guitar. I'm like, I need to, uh, I need to communicate the songs in my head to hear because I'm not going to find anybody that's going to do it. I have to do it myself. And uh, so, and punk rock was really speaking to me by then for a number of reasons. Uh, as a guitar player, it was uh, easy to play. It's three chords. So, you know, it wasn't until years later that I would go back and be like, you know what, I'm going to try to learn the, the riff to Dance the Night Away by Van Halen or, or learn this and learn that. But it wasn't something I was, I was learning back in the day, no. Did you have to hide your metal roots? No, I do know that Less Than Jake was always big on covers, not just the Cheap Trick cover we were talking about before. I think I remember a We're Not Gonna Take It cover in a compilation. Oh, yeah. Uh, did you have to hide the metal roots? Because it used to be, oh, Scott, oh, I love reggae. I know every song. No, I mean, we, we had a song called All My Best Friends Are Metalheads. You know, we, we did a we did a seven-inch compilation or a seven-inch split with Megadeth when we were on Capitol. Awesome. Really? Oh, my, yeah. We, we did we did a Slayer uh, seven-inch. We, we covered two Slayer songs. It was Less Than Jake. It was our logo as Slayer. Um, I used to dress full metal regalia, like 80s metal on stage. Um, if you go to my Instagram page and scroll back, you'll see all the pictures, which are coming out in my book in November. I have a book coming out. A book? So, what? Wait, yeah. wait, wait, wait. So the dude's got a podcast. He's got the custom songs. He's got a book. Oh, oh yeah, and he's in a really big band who apparently I don't know the discography of very well. Yeah, and uh, I mean, you know it well enough. I mean, you're, you're, you're busy dealing with Van Halen's discography. That's enough, man. Shit, they got tons of records. Um, but, and I'm also doing uh, this with people. I'm doing one-on-one -on -one, uh, uh, video consultations where I produce songs. I give advice to the music business. And so I'm doing that quite a bit lately. And uh, that's been great. It's, I love it because... Um, I never wanted to be a producer uh, in the sense of, all right, here I am in a hotel in LA and uh, the band just called, I'm going to the studio and you get in there and it's the first day. It's like, all right, guys, what do you got? And they're like, here's our song. I'm not babysitting. What I love is 
having an artist take their song to the 11th hour, push it as far as they can, and they go, here, Chris, what do you think? Ah, then I can sit back, digest it for a day or two, and then I get on with them like this, and I go, that intro's awesome, why isn't it doubled? Oh, I don't know. I want you to try it double. I think it's, it's such a great part. That lick in the bridge, that guitar lick should be at the, at the top of the song, man. That's like such a hook. I didn't think of that. You know, this lyric could be better. This melody needs to be tuned up. And then I just go with the song. And uh, so I've been doing a lot of producing um, just advice for bands of how to get out there, how to get their name out there, how to promote themselves. So uh, yeah, I've been, been doing that uh, as well. You've done more in the last three months than Van Halen has done in the last six years. So. Yes, yeah, yeah, it's, it's not saying much, but yeah. <laughs> now, how are you in terms of the Van Halen trajectory? Do you like everything, mostly everything, or are you one of those people where you go, it's Roth or it's nothing? I like it all. I, um, but I also recognize that they were two separate bands, you know, and I never used the word Van Hagar, but it was Van Hagar, you know, because yeah. Sammy had a very successful, he was with Montrose, of course, and then he went to, to be with a uh, uh, solo career that was doing great. I mean, he was yeah. in certain pockets of the country. He was an arena act by the time uh, VOA came out. You know, uh, I Can't Drive 55, well, that was a huge hit. We hit, yeah. Uh, okay. And um, so he was a star, Sammy had, 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 had you know, carved out a nice career for himself. And then, you know, getting into Van Halen, it's like the, the stars just kind of lined up. You know, there's not too many acts these days um, that that could happen to because it, it, it's also different today. You know, for instance, I had Matt uh, Skiba from Alkaline who sings for Blink now on the show the other, the other day. And Matt's a dear friend. Um, but you know, it doesn't matter if Tom DeLonge was still in the band, Blink's not going to get on the radio with their new songs anymore. It, that doesn't work. You know, new, new stuff on the radio is, is Ariana Grande, Taylor Swift, the pop stuff, you know, or a really young hard rock band. Um, right. and, and Blink's become a legacy band, like Less Than Jake's a legacy band, like a lot of these are. And what I'm getting at is that if it were to happen today where a singer like Roth left a band and they got Sammy, yeah, Sammy could go out and they could they could do what Matt's doing with Blink and go out and, and fill amphitheaters possibly and 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 play the hits and make them sound good, but their new stuff's not going to get any attention. But in 1986, Van Halen were just so massive, and Roth had went out and he was massive. He was and then they got now. and they got Sammy in and it just it just exploded. It was bigger than when Roth was in the band, you know. And people can argue that whether they want to or not. It was bigger on a sales level. And in, and in some ways, on a, on a cultural level, it was, it was bigger too, you know, because the mystique of David Lee Roth grew as the years went. And the Sammy haters fed into that a lot, like it's Roth or nothing. But, you know, David came in, it wasn't really, it was 84 and beyond. And 84 was a short period of time before he struck out solo. But MTV truly made you stars. They brought you into people's homes. It was no longer waiting for a magazine for three months and going, Oh, that's what the bass player for Van Halen looks like, Michael Anthony. No, it, it was it was now, oh, he's on my fucking TV, you know? And so um, Van Halen, when, when Sammy came in, MTV was already this institution and already this thing, and it just was fucking huge. That is such an apt comparison I never thought of, the Blink-182 without Tom with Matt. I, that really explains it in a very interesting way about how that, 
album that they did with Roth called The Different Kind of Truth was a great album. Did it get any play or acclaim? No, it didn't, unfortunately, because you can't get the new material on the radio. But then again, if it was a bunch of fresh faced kids putting that album out there, that actually might have gotten play. Well, it also, let's say that Van Halen recorded, a, and I always wish a band would have done this, like Zeppelin, anybody. But imagine the Van Halen, between Van Halen 1 and Van Halen 2, they recorded a record that they didn't tell anybody about for 40 years. Just a killer record. And they put it out today, it's going to fall on deaf ears because it doesn't have 40 years of memories attached to it. That's, yeah. that's, that's something that you cannot discount. It's, it's uh, you know, but, but it was recorded in 79. <laughs> it, 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 it's between Van Halen 1 and Van Halen 2. I don't care. Yeah. I wasn't going to Little League games. I, I didn't, you know, divorce my first wife and meet my second wife in between records and all those, me I, I was in college doing bong hits with my friends and, and all those memories that are attached to the songs that we grew up with. You can't replace technically, that. If you believe the rumors, technically the songs on A Different Kind of Truth maybe were written in the early 80s. Well, maybe Matt, you know what? I'm glad you brought that up. That was something I was going to mention was, yeah, a lot of those were recycled riffs. You could go back there. There's demos on YouTube, uh, a couple of those songs. Um, trying to think of the name of one of them. She's the, she's something. She Yeah, uh, not She's the Boss. That's the horrible Mick Jagger yeah. album. Um, yeah. Who's the woman? She's the woman. Yeah, like that's an old song from the 70s. You can go find, I think it was on one of the Gene Simmons demos that he did with Van Halen. So I know my shit. All right. I, uh, you definitely <laughs> do. You definitely do. I, I don't think anyone was dead. Does he know his shit? Um, I, I, there's been a no, few I only know about Van Halen. I don't know anything else. I'm just, I know my shit about Van Halen. That's it. Well, I, I've had to do one or two interviews for the DLR cast where you start targeting the person and they go, Oh, I'm a huge Van Halen fan. I love Jump. I love Panama. And you're like, oh, cool. So uh, are you a fan of the DLR discography? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you have a favorite song? Um, I think I like Just Like Paradise. That's him? That's solo? <laughs> you go, oh, no, we can't use this. Because... Well, 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 how about this? Uh, 1985, Crazy from the Heat. Yes. Okay. Four-song EP. Yes. 1986, uh, Eat Em and Smile. Yes. Yep. Nineteen eighty-eight skyscraper. Yeah. Ni yep. Nineteen nineteen ninety-one. A little little ain't enough. Produced by Bob Rock. Who Correct. Also produced. Yeah. Yes. Nineteen ninety-four. Your filthy little mouth. Nineteen ninety-eight. The DLR band. Yes. Uh, yeah. Who I believe John Five played on that record. Um, yeah. Uh, John Lowry or Bourbon Bob. You there you go. It. There you go. And. Uh, Dave did a bluegrass record after that and something else. A weird covers album called Diamond Dave. Diamond Dave, yes. yes. And then that weird home video. Did you ever see the home video, the No Holds Bar BQ? I, I did. I, I saw that on YouTube, something I don't really recall exactly. How about the time he was on The Tonight Show uh, with the bluegrass band doing Jump? Oh, yeah. I got to see that live in New York City. Who he could forget? <laughs> well, it, apparently everybody but fucking you and i <laughs> every now and then people kind of remember this there's also really deep weird things like on spotify there's him singing a song for a terminally ill girl uh which i don't think was supposed to be leaked publicly <laughs> have you uh, ever heard that i think it's called no i haven't heard that how about uh when he about chopped his nose off on kimmel with the sword trick you know we could talk for days there, there's all that and how about how about when mitch malloy almost became their singer 
Did you ever hear the Mitch Malloy song that he leaked, the demo that he did with Van Halen? Yes, I did. It's yep. great, right? Yep. And uh, I'm also, a, I'm a closet fan of a couple Gary Sharon Van Halen songs. I'm not going to lie. I, I am too. Yeah. Yeah. It, but uh, they put on YouTube someone, because, because nothing by Van Halen comes out the way it's supposed to gets preserved. There's like a live in Australia, Van Halen 3 live show. I watched recently. It's, it's awesome. Yeah. They do like Feel Your Love Tonight and all the songs that Sammy hadn't done or Roth didn't want to do for years. Um, but yeah, that was... Well, uh, the weird thing about that record was Mike Post produced it. Mike Post, like fucking... He was like the, the dude that like, did the sound... Well, Hill Street Blues and Miami Vice. And like, remember those like the weird keyboard sounds? This is 1998. I'm like, why are you using keyboard sounds from 1982? Oh, Mike Post did the record. Now, Eddie was out of his mind then. And then, of course, let's talk about the disastrous tour in 2004 when they brought back Sammy for 72 dates. They almost didn't make it, but Sammy couldn't quit because, because he contractually was, was obligated. He also fought, and was, the tour almost didn't happen. He said, if Michael Anthony, because they wanted Anthony out then, if Anthony doesn't go on the road, we're not doing it. And Eddie and Alex begrudgingly took Alex out. And then, of course, uh, Wolfgang took over after Sammy was out of the band. They didn't want Michael anymore. This is I, stuff that only you and I care about. I was a huge, huge, huge Sammy apologist for a while because they told me I was going to interview him. And then they're like, yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll get back to you. It's next week. Next, you know, and then like, hey, any update? Ghost. Hey, any update? Ghost. And I'm like, okay, we can talk bad about Sammy again. So I did an interview for DLR cast a couple episodes ago with, with Jesse Harms. He played keyboards on Eat Him and Smile. Uh -huh. And he was in Sammy's band for on and off for like 18 years, 20 years. It'd be like, he's in the band, he's out of the band. He's in the band, he's out of the band. One of those kinds of things. And he told me that the Roth Hagar tour that they did, I think it was O2 or was it yep. three? It was okay. O2. It was O2. He told me that that tour was supposed to continue and go overseas and do more dates, and then Sammy pulled the plug on the whole thing. Probably. Sammy didn't need the money. You know, he had sold his tequila company for $80 million and still had a 25% stake in it. So, you know, he's wiping his ass with $100 bills. Go to Europe with Roth. Ain't happening. So it was supposed to go to Japan. It was supposed and, to go. And everywhere. Roth looked terrible on that tour. He, his hair was so stringy, and he had like spray painted it like pretty much yellow. It was just yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. my Roth question I like to ask, and it's totally cool if the answer is no. Are you a fan of Sonrisa Salvaje? Uh, is that the uh, the Spanish version of of Yankee Rose? <laughs> the whole album, Eat 'Em in Style in Spanish. Yeah, yeah. Of, of course I am. <laughs> and I knew what you were talking about. <laughs> I, I asked that to, um, do you know Linus Dotson? He's like been Bowling for Soup's keyboard player, producer, songwriter over the years at times. Yes. I, I asked that question to Linus and he goes, hold on. And he goes off camera and then he pulls out the Spanish vinyl of that uh, album. I, I wish I had, the, I don't have the Spanish vinyl, but I do, I do remember the record, yeah. I was thinking of buying it and then the eBay price kept going up. And then I went, oh, wait, the Japanese version of that? So think about that one. They released it in Japan, the Spanish. Yeah, that's a smart move. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's genius move right there. So is yeah. uh, Skyscraper your favorite Roth album, or is it Eat Him and Smile? Um, you know, probably for the immediacy uh, and and 
I think Edom and Smile has, has a little more grit to it, mm-hmm. but I'm a fan of Skyscraper and that record didn't do as well. I just, I just love Just Like Paradise. I think that's one of the coolest songs ever. I think it's great. So for that song alone, I'm gonna go probably Skyscraper. I kind of go between the two. I think that Edom and Smile is a better record, but Skyscraper has some better songs. And what the hell is up with the bottom line? Can anyone explain what that song is? No, and that that was the thing. It, it, Roth was always good for these just left <laughs> left field songs. You're like, what is he doing? Um, and I like some tracks on the little, I mean, the title track, A Little Ain't Enough is awesome. That song's great. Have you, know, you watched course, video to that one lately? It's been a minute. Um, I'm trying to think, I don't know if his ALS had taken over. Was Jason Becker in the video for that? I don't believe there's one band member, unless it's a deep cameo. Oh, no, you know what? I do know the video. He's like on the Santa Monica boardwalk with the dancers or something. There's, he's under a bridge that has Dave. There's an endless ass shot uh, of women on Stairmasters. There's dwarves in blackface, or I'm sorry, little people in blackface. It's every bad racist caricature that would have gotten them canceled. But the last scene of that whole video my friend Steve, he's the singer of a band called Long Wave that was on RCA. He pointed out something I never realized. The last scene of the video, it says the final tour 2021. I'm wondering if he made that up just because it sounded funny or if actually his last tour is 2021. Who knew David Lee Roth was a prophet? He, he knew about coronavirus and everything back in 1991. Son of a bitch, who knew? Yeah. I mean, yeah, the... the I do remember that video now and it was ridiculous. I remember seeing it 91 and realizing how out of touch the eighties guys were. <laughs> I, knew, I, I could see the writing on the wall. I was like, uh, cause that came out before Nirvana, that record. I want to say it came out maybe March of 91. Yeah. You know, Nirvana hit that fall, but I remember it was late high school. It was over my first semester in college seeing the video and just sit back and going, this just, it just looked dated, badly dated. And Roth by that time, you know, he was getting into his, you know, mid to late 30s where putting on a pair of assless spandex didn't look as good as when he was 24. <laughs> Not that it ever looked great but to me, but, you know. You're right. He could pull it off. That, that Oakland 81 show, that, that, yeah. that's a handsome guy right there. And then maybe yeah. 91, well. Yeah, you know. And then he was still trying to pull it off on the Hagar solo, the, the solo truck they did in 2002. It's bad. You're right. You're right about that. Well, two quick questions because you've been so – generous uh with your time and all that have you ever watched the roth 1999 finland concert that's on youtube from like mtv um no but i will you know i i'm you know going down the, the youtube rabbit hole when i get into van halen and things i've watched a lot but that does not ring a bell so i'm gonna have to check that out what what what, what is there anything you can give me that's that's ridiculously special about it because there's a, there's a reason you brought it up <laughs> oh I like to know if people agree. Now, it's an incredible concert. I could talk about that concert for two hours, and I don't think I've ever seen any other like perfectly pro shot clip from like the late 90s of him performing live. It's, there's there's kind of like no footage of Roth from like 94 to 2002. Yeah. Just, Van Halen always goes into those black holes where, what? what, what are they doing? But there's this just one awesome concert out of nowhere. And Roth is singing so great. And I like to ask musicians, was Roth singing as great as I think he was in the late 90s? 
or is he just so bad now that you think you go back and listen to him? And, yeah. <laughs> because, and here's what's weird about Roth, what bums me out. Most yeah. guys, when they get older, especially those 80s guys, they painted themselves to a corner. They all sang, ah, up here. Yeah. Well, your voice is a muscle. Yeah. You know, luckily, you know, the kind of music that, that Less Than Jake played, we never had to sing like that. So most likely I'm going to be able to sound like I am, you know, it, it's at some point it's probably going to go away. We all get old and, and that happens. But the 80s guys painted themselves into a corner. Roth, though, Roth's high register is still there. He chooses to do two things. Number one, he doesn't sing the original melodies. Correct. And Right. And, and he puts in lyrics that weren't in the original songs. Mm-hmm. And, and, and he does these, like, really high notes that weren't there and these really low notes that weren't there. And the mid-range stuff is, like, non-existent anymore. I don't get it. He can still sing. I don't know why someone hasn't shook him and said, dude, I want to hear Jump like it's the record. I want to hear Dance the Night Away like it's the record. You know, it's almost indistinguishable when when he sings now. And I I don't get it. Um, There's a number of artists that do that. Uh, uh, Jarrett from Bowling for Soup, my podcast, told me, because I brought up the David Lee Roth thing with Jarrett. And Jarrett had told me that uh, Adam Duritz is one of those from Counting Crows. He loves Counting Crows, but Adam does not sing the songs. And it's almost like this ego artist thing, like, they're my songs and I'm going to put my artistic thing on it right now. In- it's live. It's jazz. <laughs> yeah. No, it's not. It's fucking Van Halen. I want to hear jump. Like it sounded like an 84, you know? So. Um, I'm with you on that. It puzzles me. And the, the, you know, this ties into the last thing I was going to ask you. Uh, it, it really puzzles me because when I, I went to see him in Vegas uh, in January, one of the last shows I saw before all this happened, my wife said, you love David Lee Roth. You got to see him. And I'm like, no, he'll be back. That's right, before he, that's right before he picked up with Kiss. Exactly, exactly. We saw two of the shows. And he was saying, oh, it's going to be three guitarists on stage. Like, no, it's not. It's, the set list is going to change every night. No, it didn't. And he didn't do Hot for Teacher. And he didn't do Yankee Rose. And at first you think, why the hell would he not do those songs? And then now, if, you, if I were to say, hey, Chris, sing uh, Hot for Teacher, it is higher than you kind of realize. Mm-hmm. That's not what my question is. Uh, <laughs> my, my question is, well, do it you is know, high. besides me who saw the Vegas residency shows? Besides you, do I know who saw? Do you know anyone who saw them? Oh, um... No, I know someone that saw him in the Northeast. I want to say New Hampshire, like the kickoff show. Uh, a friend of mine saw him up there, but I don't think I know anybody that saw the Vegas shows, no. Because it's, it's very tough to find like people who are super into Roth, yet the people who are into Roth then know everything like you, and they're going to tell you, a little ain't enough is 91. <laughs> yeah, I just, um, you know, he was larger than life. He was... You know, all the people that bitch about, well, Sammy was the better singer. Yeah, technically he was, but the style Dave had. You know, that guy, he was, I don't, I don't think it could be 300 years from now, he's one of the greatest rock and roll frontmen there ever was. Undoubtedly. That guy, you go back and look at videos of them, like at Oakland from 81, or, um, you know, look at them at the Us Festival. Like, guy can't be touched. He was a walking, talking, breathing rock and roll sex machine. He had everything that you want in a in a rock and roll front man. He was great. 
I could not have said it any better. Like, uh, what's the Howard Stern line? You, you've said it all. You've done it all. Is, is that what his closing line is? Whenever it was, he some, it, 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 it was something like that. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I don't remember the last line, but it was something like that. I'll take your word for it. <laughs> Whatever it is, you've been off the charts, generous with your time. I'll, I'll let you know when this is all out and up. We'll plug the podcast, the song creation, all that kind of stuff. Anything I missed? Uh, no, you're, you're pretty thorough yourself, so I appreciate your time. Thank you. I'll let you know when I have more Rudy Sarzo news, okay? Please, yeah, you, 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 you do that. I would, I would love that. I'll let you know about Carlos Cavazzo. <laughs> Good guitarist and rat. Great guitarist and choir right? What is that? Where is that guy, by the way? Where he's, is having, he, he's having lunch with Jizzy Pearl right now at the Rainbow. So <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, thank you so much, Chris, and uh, keep you posted, man. All right, bro. Have a good day. You too now. Bye.